So, what did you think of the song? It is an original, written by our very own Sam Pearson, who you've heard in a few of these Notes of the Narrator episodes, and sung for you by our very own Evan, who voices Captain Jesse, if you didn't know that already. <laughs> also, the instrumental was provided by the band called Soso. A dear friend of ours, Owen, heard it and immediately just went to town, making the creepiest sea shanty I had ever heard. Oh, I'm sure we'll release it on our Discord or in our socials sometime in the future. In the meantime, you can always go back and listen to it at the end of that episode. So, back to the story, right? Where did I leave off? We saved Makaro... The ship is fixed. I believe the only thing that's left is to figure out what the next adventure is. This first manifest, as you know, is called Down Among the Dead Men. And while we have finished the first major arc, called The Heart of Makaro, there are going to be several of these. This begins a new arc. This new arc is called The Rose of the Atabayan. And if you've been paying attention you'll recognize the significance of this. Do you have your drink handy? All comfy and cozy in your chair? Wonderful. Let's begin. <clears throat> Article 15. The journey begins. It is very, very early morning. The sun has not yet made her ascent, but the crew is up and ready and active. And the ship is alive. I think Wayland got up before everybody else and went ashore and is currently on his way back with a particular individual. Okay. So Wayland is with Kieran on the floating dock and is currently coming back to the ship with Elliot in tow. Elliot is excitedly telling you about the Makara. And Kieran is rolling his eyes. While Elliot is going off, Wayland is nodding his head and knows that Elliot is buried in his notes and everything, going over a detailed description of the entire history of the Makara, their biology, how they fung everything. Their mating habits, their migration. Exactly. Knowing that Kieran is the master of the Makara, just leans over and goes, So how much of this is actually true? Kieran is laughing under his breath, leans over to Wayland and says, well, about 98% of it is true. We don't actually really know the details of where the Makara go when they migrate. Right. Well, 98%'s not bad. He's very learned, that lad. Well, that is what I was hoping. Does he come with a cork? You know, I don't think that accessory was included. I think that's uh, sold separately. Maybe the crotchety old lady has one. <laughs> we'll jump ahead to you guys being on deck. Wayland is going to look for Jesse. And Jesse's having a rough morning. He's just kind of lying in his bed. Maps around him. Coat and hat thrown on one of the chairs. Jesse, you're kind of staring up at the ceiling. You hear scritching close to you. Almost as if the soft tip of a quill is being dragged across parchment and then you hear the shift of something over that parchment perhaps maybe a ruler being moved from one end to the other good morning buenos dias 
Did you sleep well? No. Hmm. Did you have a nightmare? Something like that. Ah. A storm of the mind, then. He doesn't say anything. He nods. What troubles you so? The ocean is vast and seemingly endless. It is massive and it stretches on for what feels like eternity in all directions. Yet somehow it is empty to what flows through my fucking mind. You hear a warm chuckle that reminds you of summer days spent in the sun out at sea. (laughs) So you are lost in a sea of thoughts then. Well, it is a good thing that you are a captain and you have a vessel to carry you. The camera watches a hand, beautiful, elegant, tanned, reach from out of frame and lands flat upon Jesse's chest over his heart. And being my son, you always have a compass to guide you. You'll never truly lose your way. Mi hijo del viento. Jesse, you wake up. Uh, Captain, you awake in there? Yeah. Uh, just a moment, Will, and... Of course. Oh. He finds his gloves, puts them on. He's still slays front shirt, sleeves rolled up. Uh, yeah, come in. It's open. I was going to say something. I just want to clarify. I don't know if we've already established this. Does coffee exist in this world? Yes. Okay, cool. Do we have it? I don't see why not. Cool. Morning, Captain. Good morning. You, um... Need a cup of coffee? I can grab boots and see if he can brew you one. Uh, no, that... <laughs> that won't be necessary. What can I do for you, Wayland? Wayland's gonna walk in alone and hold his finger out to someone outside the door. I wanted to propose something to you. And I figured I would do it by myself, considering you're just waking up, and I don't want to... Well, and he just sort of glances at the door. Subject you to any undue stress before you fully roused, which is not exactly a great segue into what I'm going to propose. Go on. Right, I'll just be out with it then. I think we should bring Elliot on board the ship. Uh, why? 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 For a couple reasons, actually. One, he is a wealth of knowledge about Cyrenith artifacts and about many different mysteries that this world holds for us. I think in our continuing endeavors to to protect this world, should we ever encounter anything like we did yesterday again, he would be invaluable to those situations. Considering who we're up against... I mean that in the royal who, considering that there are several individuals and parties like, I think it would be foolish of us not to bring him aboard. The second reasoning is that he's particularly deft, if not sometimes a little foolhardy, but who on this ship isn't, at navigating ruins, something which is neither of our specialties. And again, 
I think his assistance in that regard would be particularly useful. We don't have anyone like him aboard the ship as of yet. Yes, he nods. What under your thoughts? All hands on deck. Master Grewa. Aye, aye, Captain. And Wayland will open the door and go to Elliot. Elliot is talking to Roz. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Shit. And the both of them are going back and forth from each other. Elliot will state a thing, and then Roz will state a thing, and then Elliot will excitedly embellish on the thing that Roz stated, and then Roz will excitedly embellish on the thing that Elliot stated. Mama Coco is sitting on a barrel with her fingers touching her forehead, trying to understand where this person came from. Charles is also standing next to her with his arms folded and his jaw slightly open. There is a wave of emotions that are currently crashing over Wayland. One of them is pride in that he thinks he's made a good decision. And the other one is abject horror at what that decision has immediately brought onto their shoulders. Wayland will walk to the other side of Mama Coco and he just sort of leans back and mirror Charles's position. <laughs> I think I might have created a monster. And he just sort of chuckles to himself. You know we're not a monster hunting ship, right? <laughs> Doesn't say we can't have one on board. Wayland, I was expecting you to bring a baby Makara onto the ship and bringing it up to me with your puppy dog eyes asking me if you could keep it. Oh, is that out of the question now? <laughs> Coco just gets up and walks away, holding both her hands up. I'm done. <laughs> Gets his coat and his hat and all of his stuff on. And he's just sitting there kind of hyping himself up. Stands up and pushes open the doors. Captain on deck! Everyone either salutes or bows or makes some motion of affirmation. Says I or sir. There is a roar from the bilge. Hell yes. She won't come up on deck, but she's listening. She's there in spirit. Good morning, everyone. Morning, Captain. They all respond in kind. Master Greywall has something he would like to share with the crew. An idea. Wayland. All eyes turn to Wayland. Wayland gets up from his leaning position, stands tall and firm. Right. So, I've been doing quite a bit of thinking lately, and I believe that there is a position on this ship that we have yet to fill. This is Elliot. Elliot was an invaluable part of Captain Nakonsa and I's recent expedition into the jungles of Makaro. He helped save our lives on a few occasions. He is quite the learned individual, and if I am not mistaken, he's also a member of the Explorer's Society. We as a crew and as a ship often travel to strange locations, heretofore unknown by the rest of the world. Elliot is an individual who does hold some knowledge, who would be able to help us explore those locations, who would be able to help us navigate fearsome waters, as it were. I believe he would be quite the remarkable member of this crew. And if you all agree, I propose that we bring him on board. Wayland will motion for Elliot to speak. The camera then shifts to look at Elliot. 
Elliot is wearing a pith helmet, and he takes it off with one hand and places it over the gigantic book he has cradled in his other arm and leans his wrist up to adjust the spectacles that continue to slide down his nose and clears his throat rather loudly and clumsily. Ah, <coughs> 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 uh, hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, I- I'm Elliot. Uh, g- good morning. Uh, it is a pleasure to meet uh, all all of you. Wow, there's a lot of you. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, as as Mister Mister Wayland, Mister Wayland, uh, so elegantly uh, stated, I am a scholar in all things Sirnith and mysterious. And while I may look young, I do have the experience of other explorers. I have delved deeply into ruins. I have traversed dangerous places, and I have unearthed terrible, terrible secrets. Uh, But I I do have experience in more than just books. I have a voracious curiosity for everything that is unknown and undelved, and there's a wide... He flourishes his pith helmet, opening out his arm a little bit, and a few pages fall out of the book that he has, drops down to a knee, and quickly picks them up and shoves them back in the book. There's a wide world out there that you all seem to be exploring, and I would love to accompany you. Thank you for, uh, your time. And he awkwardly steps out of the ring that the crew have kind of made around him as he speaks, excusing himself, and steps towards the railing. My friends, this decision is put to a vote. Jesse, are you looking at Charles when you say that? Yes. He is nodding... With that genuine smile on his face. You wish for this gentleman to join our crew, you say I. There is any reason which you wish this man not to join this crew, you say nay. And he looks to each officer. I. They all say I in turn. Jesse stamps the deck twice with his boot hard. Talking to Ursa? I like the idea that there is a almost a shorthand way of speaking. It's similar to Morse code, but like with the banging of wood. Because he doesn't have time to go down there and have a conversation. It's almost like thieves can't, or like a druidic language that is easy to communicate with those on board who know it just by the vibrations. I love that. There is a yes in response. Everybody in turn says it until you get to Mama Coco. And Mama Coco is sitting flat out on the deck, cross-legged with both hands on her knees. Elliot, you seem like a very nice man. Thank you, miss. Captain, I tell you my answer as soon as you answer my question. Where are we going next? If it requires someone with Elliot's... Elliot is ruffling through his bag and, like, dropping papers as the camera is looking at him. And he's haphazard. He puts his hat back on his head and it's tilted. His glasses are slipping down the bridge of his nose. And then it turns back over to Mama Coco. Expertise. Then it makes sense for us to hire him. Because that's what you're saying. He's not just a passenger. But if we're not going after anything particularly of the scholarly nature... 
I don't feel comfortable bringing this new soul aboard who might not be ready for such adventure. We do have one of two destinations, depending how everyone feels. Wayland will raise his hand really quickly, if I may. Ah, uh, yes, Wayland. We have encountered several things thus far that, while I hope we don't encounter again, and he sort of looks to Pizette, anything is possible. Elliot is an expert on Sirnith artifacts. And he looks up to the sails. There are things that we don't fully know about that we have encountered. Different individuals, different vessels. Regardless of where we go next, having someone who would be able to give us an insight into exactly what we're up against, I think, is a necessary expense. That is my two-gilder in this particular question. Regarding our destinations, we have two. The first is Aragosta. We return and... Seek more answers to why the Red Ghost is hunting us. Perhaps talk with Bonaventura, and perhaps gain some of her insight. Or he pulls out his little macaroni, <laughs> macaroni and cheese, macaroni and cheese. For those listening, Evan actually has a physical map that he is unrolling excitedly, and a destination about the same distance, maybe a little longer. To our southeast. You can find a job in town in Makara here. Rest to finish along the way. Kill two birds with one stone. And what in the southeast? The rose of the Adabian. Or at least... Um... A better idea as to the location of the rose of the Adabian. Point of note. Does everybody on the ship know who the rose of the Adabian is? Yes. Okay. And do they know your relation to the Rose of the Atabayan? Yes. Okay. There are soft gasps, murmurs of her name under their breath. A couple of crew members looking at each other and, yeah, no, that's what he said. Mama Coco stands up at this point. Jesse, I... Captain. Hi. I may not speak for everyone here, but I need to know if we're actually going after something tangible, or if we're sailing right into a ghost story, sir. Would you rather sail towards another ghost story, one involved with the Red Ghost? That ship be as real as my hand. The only thing ghostly about it is the name. The camera is angled down at the deck from a yard arm above, and we see... Mama Coco fold her arms over her chest and lean on one leg, cocking out a hip, staring at the captain with a very serious face on. A large group of sailors walk towards Mama Coco's side of the deck, while the other stays on Captain Jesse's side. The crew of La Rosa Blanca is split between the decision of the next voyage. So, I'm actually setting up a risk here. This is the first time you're having a legitimate vote among the crew, and there is opposition to what has been proposed. You've stated that the Rose of the Ataban, your mother, potentially could be alive, but that's all you have, is the word, and a location on a map. And then you've also got 
the Red Ghost, which very well could have sunk you. The crew is not sure which to pick, and Mama Coco specifically is adverse to one of them, based off of the facts that are given. The other reason this is a risk is because Elliot could not be brought on because of this. So I think it's going to be a risk for Jesse, because you're the captain, and you have all of the information. So how are you approaching this vote? With the amount of evidence that Jesse has, he's keen on getting his mother back and understanding where Mama Coco is coming from. He's also keen on bucking up the Scarlet Fleet, specifically the Red Ghost. So we're going empathy and resolve. Get your pool together. Jesse, also take two for flair, if you haven't already. The crew is at odds with the choice given to them. Both are dangerous, but for different reasons. One leads close to the ATC. There's also little to no evidence that what they are looking for will be there. The other leads back to the ship that nearly sunk them by surprise, and investigating the Scarlet Fleet is sure to bring about the wrath of Reese. The consequences are thus. The crew is split down the middle. Half of them agree with Mama Coco. Chasing a ghost story isn't worth the risk. The other half want revenge on the Red Ghost. Elliot is caught in the middle. Choosing to side with Mama Coco leaves Elliot behind, for his own safety. Choosing to find the Rose of the Atabayan brings him along. An opportunity here is presented in Elliot, should you choose to ask his opinion. I did not put any costs to this, because this is essentially a debate. You're going to have to use your raises to sway the sides. To present a fact about the journey or about past experiences that were along the lines of either side, whichever one you wish to sway. And the opposition is the half of the crew that disagrees with you. You're going to have to spend raises to sway them to your side. Also, Wayland, if you're going to spend a hero point to help your beloved captain... Oh, 100%. Wayland is going to back him wholeheartedly, but I also think Wayland is going to encourage Jesse to lay all the cards on the table. Put forth what we have. We trust these people. We trust this crew. They should know everything that we do. Oh, you mean everything. Like revealing the fact that you have an artifact. I like that a lot. Which I think also ticks another box for, for Elliot. He also knows about the Heart of Matters. Because he's looked through it. He knows that we have this Sirnith artifact. Because you have no idea where the pirate with the parrot went. I spend my hero point. Jesse, take three extra dice on your pool. I've laid out the consequences for what's going to happen. I've given you an opportunity, should you choose to use it. And if you would like to spend a hero point to help yourself with one extra die, you can. Always look at your advantages, everyone. Oh, what did you find? An Aragostan ship always gains one additional raise in any risk she or her crew takes. Let's see. Look at that. We are on board the goddamn ship. Ah, yes. Boom. You take that Aragostan origin bonus raise. All right. Would you like me to roll? How many bones are you rolling exactly? Two for resolve, one for empathy, three, two from Flair. That's five. Three from Wayland. And then one race. So I'm rolling eight dice. I would love to hear the rattle of your bones rolling. Eight dice time. Delightful. 
I rolled two tens, six and a four, nine and a two, and a seven and a six. So I have six raises. Oh, yeah. No remainders. Ah, beans. All right. Let's get back to it, shall we? I have some sparing evidence that my mother, in fact, is alive. I can't say for certain if we are going to her destination, but she is leading me on a path towards what I would hope to be her. Do you want to send Wayland to go and get it? Yeah. Wayland will do so. Wayland, you leave. Enter the captain's quarters. You come back out with the portrait of Sedona Nakansa. It's large. Takes up your entire frame. But you stand there with it, next to Jesse. And he pulls out the heart of matters. This is the heart of matters. As far as a couple of us are aware, it is a Sianeth artifact that allows us to see what is true. It was given to me by the swordsman who trained my mother, alongside a note. Directions. It is why we are here in Makaro. Admittedly, the job that brought us here was a happy coincidence. Although I have come to believe that after certain things were brought to light, that it might not have been a coincidence after all. Some things seem to be far more connected than I think either Jesse or I could have predicted. I'm trying to empathize with the crew by being able to see it from their perspective while also enlightening their perspective with what evidence Jesse has. Okay. It's going towards the Adabinus. How many raises? I think I'm going to put three down. The camera is now positioned on the main mast facing the captain's quarters, where everyone has gathered. There are several deckhands that grab the Heart of Matters, look through it, and look at the portrait. Charles takes it, Roz takes it, Cosette takes it. Everyone on the deck has taken it at least for a second, looked through it, and realized, oh hey, there's something on the portrait. Mama Coco is the only one that does not take the stone. Charles shares a word with Mama Coco that we cannot hear. She walks over and takes the envelope and rubs her thumb on the seal. Correct me if I'm wrong. And maybe some of you even haven't seen this, so you won't even know what it is. But this... And she turns the envelope so everyone can see the wax seal is the ATC official seal. This came from the top. I believe that the coordinates on this map lead us two days out of Fort Freedom. The hornet's nest. Don't get me wrong. We can take on one ship. We can't take on a fleet. And we'd be sailing right into essentially shark-infested waters, except these sharks aren't beneath the waves. I say we steer very clear of those waters until we're ready, and until we have more to go on. Mama Coco is putting three raises towards the Red Ghost. So the debate is evenly matched again. We will not have to worry about travel between here and that destination. I have two witnesses on this ship that will back me up. The heart of Makaro is a literal meaning. The being Makaro himself was once protected by my mother from ATC hunters. Because we helped them, Makaro agreed 
to guide us. Yes, I understand where the territory lies. I know it better than anyone on this ship. I was held captive there for years with my mother and her crew. I know the outcome. I need to know that they haven't taken her and are not bending powers that are beyond all of us to bind her to their will or to anyone else's will other than her own. The last I left my mother, she was not a free woman. Last I checked with pirates, regardless if she is my mother or not, she deserves to be free. She raises. Okay. There are nods of agreement and murmurs beneath people's breaths. Not to hide anything, but just amongst themselves. Mama Coco nods and does something that all of you really haven't seen before. She's tying up her hair. Oh, boy. She takes a long strand of silk that's in one of her locks and begins to wind up the bundle of them as she's talking. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Captain. We are, in fact, pirates. Freedom is our middle name. We be out on the sea doing what we want to do, with no king or country to answer to. Although, we do have a queen, but we very rarely listen to her either. She begins to lift up her hair away from her neck, and the camera gets a really good look at a scar that encompasses the entirety of her neck from just beneath the chin to below the nape. You can see a band, tiny, tiny pricks in a pattern all the way around, as if whatever she was wearing had needles in it. I understand more than anyone on this ship what it is like to be a captive, to be held against your will and told to do things you don't want to do. But we ain't gonna be so lucky, she says in a very visceral way. The Rose is an infamous vessel. And while other vessels might get captured and might get branded and might get slapped with a fine, or maybe in some cases asked to join the fleet with the promise of a pardon, we are gonna be sunk on sight. And if they board us, they have no intention of keeping us captive. They will kill each and every one of us systematically. Our captain will have to watch because he will have the luxury of going back to Fort Freedom so that they can hang him as a warning to others. I'd rather die fighting a ghost on the sea than go anywhere near the ATC. Mama Coco puts two raises towards the red ghost. Is that anything that Wayland has seen before? Nope. That is something that Mama Coco normally keeps, if you'll excuse the pun, and this is something that Klaus would say, very close to the skin. Better question. Is that something that Sam has seen before? Yep. Fort Freedom happens to be where they take the indentured servants to be broken so that they can go to different plantations. Ah, the ATC has done horrible things. Your fear is well placed, for good reasons. 
I would rather put my hat in the ring with those bastards than whatever mysteries lie on board the deck of the Red Ghost. They possess sorcery that the ATC does not. They may not have the numbers as the ATC fleet, but the whole fleet wouldn't be there anyway. The Scarlet Fleet, they are predators. They wanted to. They could devour all of the sailors that roam the Atabian. I will do whatever my crew feels is the right decision. I will not force anyone to do anything they don't want to. That is my word. One raised towards the Rose? Yes. Is that all of your raises? Six, right? Yeah. There is one thing that hasn't been brought up yet, and I think we might be forgetting. No ship in the Red Fleet allows for survivors with anyone that they go up against. We are survivors. Whether we go looking for them or not, we are going to have to deal with the Red Ghost eventually, and the Red Ghost is not going anywhere. I think we're all forgetting something else. Elliot, and all eyes turn to Elliot, who has just been busy reading his notes and trying to make himself as transparent as possible. Mama Coco looks at Elliot and says, Elliot, I'm sorry for forgetting you. It was not my intention, but you are not cargo, nor are you property. I want to hear what you have to say on the matter. I want to know what it is that Elliot wants. And Mama Coco is going to spend a raise towards activating the opportunity for Elliot to speak. Elliot looks up and says, uh, and his glasses slide down his nose and he pushes them up. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, I was, I was just going to stand here and, and be as quiet as possible because this seems very tense right now, but, um, I can assure you that if I didn't want to be here, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone with Wayland in, in the rowboat, and I would have told him, no, thank you, I'm, I'm all set. I appreciate the offer, but I politely declined. But here I am, which means that I do want to be here, and I do have information that could help with... <sighs> okay, so I know of the Red Ghost. I know of the Scarlet Fleet. I've been in the Ataban long enough to know that they are a menace to society, as it is, pirate or not. I also know of the hints and more like pirate tales of this Atabayan Rose, the menace to the ATC. So we're looking at two menaces, essentially. Two great things that are bigger than us, which I happen to look at often. I just witnessed a god, which you don't get to do that every day. And I thank my lucky stars that I get to. But uh, more to the point, I think that we have to look at which one is greater, which one is not going to kill us as much. As an explorer, I delve very deeply into very dangerous places. And I've seen my fair share of traps and, and awful things. And he shakes his head rapidly as if to shake a memory out of his head and his glasses slide completely off of his nose but are caught by the two golden chains that are around his neck. He doesn't bother to put them back on, and he actually sets his notebook down on the barrel and steps towards the center of the gathering. I appreciate you all looking out for my safety. It's, it's kind of humbling to know that you all care about whether or not I'm okay in going on this journey, which is more than can be said for the Explorer Society. But I want to go where adventure is. And if that means danger, then I'll face it with the same tenacity that I face 
a seerness writing that I haven't seen before with determination and will. My will to know, my will to learn, my will to understand. And from what I understand is that our odds are better with a god on our side than it is without. I was there. I heard Makaro say it. They will grant us safe passage on the way to where we need to go, which is very, very close to the hornet's nest, if you don't mind me taking your metaphor. But if we have a veil... Jesse's looking up at the sails when he mentions a veil. If we have a bush, essentially, to hide us as we sneak past the hornet's nest, then perhaps that's enough. And perhaps we'll find something greater. We'll certainly find something that someone values very much, and he points towards Jesse. And I will do everything that I can to help us in however I can. He steps back and picks up his glasses and puts them on his nose and returns close to his book. Thank you for your time. And Mama Coco nods and smiles and looks at Jesse. At a... Charles. Oi, Miss Coco. The thorns are thickest before you get to the flowers. We might have to cull some brambles as we head towards the rose. Mama Coco has been swayed to vote for heading towards the rose. She spends her last race there. He looks around to everyone. What say you all? Where do your hearts lie? There is a resounding eye. You hear the Morse code from Ursa as well. As Roz has been relaying all of this to her. By sitting in the stairwell, holding out an ear, and then talking down to her. Well, what you are standing around for? We have places to go. Get the ship ready. Wayland and I... Uh, uh, no, Charles. I Go get us another job, I. I'll try to find something that's not prone to vanishing. Aye, good luck. He hands him a map and kind of points him in the direction that we're going to be traveling. Cool. So he's going to leave and go get a job. <laughs> get a job. Get a job. While that's happening, I would like all of you to look at combat rules under La Rosa Blanca as we again step into the writer's room. So there's a new thing that I would like to introduce. And it's based off of the fact that wealth in the game as a pirate ship is a little harsh. So I decided to change things up a little bit because it's my game. I can do what I want. Normally, at the end of each session, the wealth in the treasury gets split. And if you don't have any wealth in the treasury, your crew becomes mutinous. And if you don't pay your crew after the next session, surprise, mutiny. Rules as written doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah, that, wow, that is harsh. If we've learned anything from the notes of the narrator and this entire game, it's that the narrative first, you know, fiction forward. Yeah, especially for these sessions where we love to go so roleplay heavy and we're not completing a job every single session. Yeah. The way that I run and the way that you guys play and the way that we have created our game, it is fiction first. At the end of a journey, when you get paid or when you find the treasure or when whatever happens, that's when you pay the crew. That's when wealth is distributed. After two journeys without paying your crew, they will become mutinous. What that means mechanically is that you get negative effects, basically negative dice, whenever you do a risk on the ship. Yeah, I like that. If after the third journey and they don't get paid, that's when a mutiny, an actual mutiny will occur. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. That makes way more sense. 
Makes sense from like fundamental human view. It's 8.30, it's pay time. Here you go. It's, it's Friday, guys. I don't think that's how pirates work. Typically, like, oh, got a treasure, got a gold, got a diplomas, got a gilder. Here the fuck you go. And typically, you have votes like this, where if people think it's too risky and not worth the money... They don't get to stay. They don't get to stay. They can maybe join back up with you in Aragosta when you come back. They don't have to come. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, because we've been playing it the way that you just described, Zoe, I totally thought that those were the rules. You know, one day I'll write an Explorer Society campaign. Well, you're damn good at it, so I hope so. And speaking of writing new things, I talked about journeys earlier. Those don't exist in the book. So I decided to make them. So this is what a journey means. Capital J. You've chosen to sail the seas. While no one quite knows what to expect when embarking from port out into these monster-infested waters, it's usually a good idea to prepare for the worst. Should it come to pass, at least you're not caught over a barrel. The captain, along with the cartographer and officers on the ship, plan out not only the route they're going to take, but also the work the crew will be focused on during the journey. At the beginning of each journey, the captain takes his crew and divides them into two groups. Those groups are then put to work, capital W. And what the work does is not only does it grant a narrative benefit as to what the crew is doing the entire time you're sailing, but also a mechanical benefit to help you during your journey. There are four areas that a crew can work. They can man the sails, tend the guns, back the bilge, or become a part of the culling crew. And the culling crew is just a fancy word for the boarding party, considering how La Rosa Blanca likes to do things. So, let's go over these. Man the sails, which is led by Raz and Mama Coco. Riggers and helmsmen work in tandem to move the ship into favorable winds, trim the sails, as well as keep an eye out for enemy ships or rocks or things of that nature. The mechanical benefit for working the sails is you reach your destination in half the time. Tending the guns is led by Jory and Wayland. You make sure the cannons are loaded, you check the shot, you make sure all of the small arms and weapons are available and ready, the benefit granted is that you will always be the first one to fire in battle, which, in mechanics terms, means that your ship takes the first action before anyone else in the round. Backing the bilge is led by Hawthorne and Ursa. It is all about maintaining the ship as they sail, whether you come across rocks or have recovered from battle, keeping the hull together, as well as manning any pumps in case there's water, and general repair and maintenance as you go on your journey. The benefit of this is that your ship can ignore the first tier of hits, which means that upon receiving what would be counted as the ship's first critical for you, you begin to take damage. So you have essentially a small buffer, a little bit of extra armor. And last but certainly not least, the culling crew is led by Charles and Agnes. This is the crew that boards enemy ships, that takes out rowboats to fight monsters, that mans the small arms and the weaponry and 
especially the harpoons. What this means mechanically is that you are armed and ready to fight. When an action sequence begins, and a monster and or enemy ship is hooked using said harpoons, it creates a permanent opportunity on the scene that anyone can use to move between the two. Now, after you've chosen the work for your crew, any hero can spend a hero point, or a raise if it's during an action sequence, to rearrange the crews if needed. However, if this is done in the middle of the journey, the ship won't receive that chosen benefit. So, for example, if you chose at the very beginning, man the sails and tend the guns, but then halfway through an action sequence, you want to change it to man the sails and culling crew, you won't receive the benefit from culling crew. Savvy? So I have two things about this. Sure. First thing is, if we don't choose two of them and that happens, what are the deficits of not choosing those? Like, if we don't choose artillery and the culling crew, will we not be able to man the guns and small arms? Nope, you can still do that. You just won't be getting that extra bonus benefit from the journey. Narratively, you'll still be able to do everything. Got it. So the other thing that comes up is the ocean's favorite. Mm -hmm. Now, the very first thing you get with the ocean's favorite advantage is before you roll dice at the beginning of a round, you may spend a hero point to reorganize your crew squads. So does that come into conflict with this mechanic that you're introducing? Because that's part of an advantage. It does not. How come? And how so? You don't have the ocean's favorite? You didn't pick that, right? No, I didn't. But because I was looking at it and potentially maybe thinking about getting it for the future, that particular bracket specifically stood out to me because of that first part. Because I was thinking, oh, we haven't really had the opportunity to really reorganize the crew squads. And this is basically that, just with a raise. I am going to be completely honest, and I forgot about the Ocean's Favorite and that it can rearrange crew members. So that's on me. Oh, no, you haven't memorized all of the books that are available. I'm so sorry, guys. Oh, gosh. How dare you? I haven't memorized every advantage. I'm sorry. I'm not mad, Zoe. I'm just, no, I'm just disappointed. Oh, no. What is the rest of it? Because there's more, right? Oh, yeah. Spending a hero point to aid a hero on board your ship gains them four bonus dice instead of three, and you gain one bonus die for every risk you take aboard your ship. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but I think it would be really fucking rad if when you rearrange your crew, because you're the ocean's favorite, the sea itself grants you a little bit of a bonus boon. You can have up to three benefits at once. Yeah. Oh, I like that with that advantage. Yes, I like that. Oh, okay. If you take two and you transfer two of them, you still have those two, but you just have to choose one of the new ones. Right. So at any point, we won't be able to have all four. Right. I don't have the ocean's favorite, but it could be something that I pull in the future because that could be really, really nice. This is so fresh because I literally read it at the beginning of the session. Specifically, that part is fresh in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Literally, this is brand new out of my brain. I like this a lot. But yeah, so now is the time to divvy up your crew and find out which benefit you get for this journey. Oh boy. Um, hmm. And what are you thinking? Man in sales and calling crew. Fantastic. Charles comes back with a crate 
a couple of people are helping him bring it aboard, as well as the old crotchety lady. Uh, welcome aboard. Hello there. Thank you for the lantern, by the way. There's nothing. Uh, what can we do for you? I need this dropped in the ocean there. And she hands you a map with an X on it. Elliot is, of course, nearby and sees that there is an X placed on that map, and he begins to jitter with excitement. Oh, there are ruins there. There, there are sunken ruins there. Oh, 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 I know about this. I know about this. Hold on one second. And he fumbles with a small journal that he's trying to pull out of his bag and opens it quite aggressively. He's flipping pages like mad until he finally finds what he's looking for. It was one of the first things that I researched while I was in the Yadabay, and we found it on an old rotted plank. It said, Damned be the drowned who lurk in the deep. Damned be the tides who know of no sleep. That, um, that certainly tracks. Uh, just draw this right in there? Yep. Uh, what is inside? You can look if you want. You could tell me. It's better if you see it for yourself. And they take the top off of the crate... We are positioned at an angle where we cannot see what is inside of it, but we can see all of you looking in it. Elliot is excited to the point of almost phasing through reality because he's vibrating so much. Jesse, how does your face look for the camera? Jesse's uncomfy. A look of big uncomfy. Big uncomfy, got it. That's the scientific term, just big uncomfy. I think Jesse feels like he's violated. Like, he himself is not violated. He feels like he has done the violating. Oof. Wayland, what does your face look like? Oh, deeply unnerved. He has seen something that shouldn't be. Well, I hate all of this. What the fuck is that thing? This, my friends, is a piece of history. And the camera, which is positioned inside the crate looking up, goes black. You'll notice that I omitted the description of what was in the box. There's a very good reason for that. There is something that we need to address. Something extremely important that is often forgotten while we are gaming. And that's safety for everyone at the table. I had an idea of what should be in the box, but I always leave it up to my players to decide what exactly we're dealing with. A, because I want to hear what they have to come up with, and B, it takes a little of the weight of GMing off me. What we came up with was something terrifying, and at the table, it was scary, but when we left the table, there were some repercussions. I had trouble sleeping, and that's when I knew that we needed to talk about it at length, because something had been essentially triggered at the table. Now we have safeguards in place, and I wanted to bring those to light, because the world needs to know that gaming can sometimes be dangerous. As the old man in The Legend of Zelda games says, it's dangerous to go alone. So, join us next time as Evan, Patrick, and myself go over some of the safety nets that we have in place while we're gaming at the table with each other, and describe some tools we have used to help us create a safe and comfortable gaming environment. Because I don't just say, be safe and well. 
I mean it. We'll see you then. Be safe and well.